to invite all of your world. Well, today we're going to jump into the message. Let's give a massive round of applause, Bula Buzz, for everyone watching online right now. You guys are so very welcome. Also, we're in part two of a three-part series called Euangelion, which of course is a Greek word. And as you would have noticed from the promo video, it is a word that refers to good news. Euangelion in Greek simply means good news. And what we're doing over these three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, is we're asking the question, what is the good news that we talk about so often in church? And how do we, in particular, those of you who are in this room and are Christ followers, people of faith, how do we get better? How can we improve? How can we grow in our ability to show the world the good news that we believe in? Because we believe it is good news for everyone. And I, and I'm a, and I have this conviction, my, my, my feeling, my, my uh, good sense is that most people in Ireland haven't rejected the good news. They just haven't heard it yet. They've heard a tainted version of it that isn't very much good news because it involves religion and control and judgmentalism and all these things. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at the gospel, when we look at the, at the good news of scripture, it really is good news for everyone. Now, the truth is we live in a culture where bad news sells, right? Bad news makes money. And over the last couple of years, what all has happened with pandemics and elections and all these things, we see that bad news has become a commodity. And so they keep feeding it to us. And we live in a culture where it's very hard to find real news, never mind good news. But we live in this, this moment, this tension moment, where even though our, our world is pervasively uh, covered in bad news, you know, and that news sells, we have a good news. Not only that doesn't sell, it saves. It can save your marriage. It can save your mental health. It can save your career. It can salvage your broken dreams. It can change your life. And we, very upfront, if you're here, you're not a Christ follower, watching online, not someone of faith, let me just tell you our bias upfront. We want you to know and experience this good news that, of course, can save. And so the base text for our series is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44 to 47. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke never met Jesus. Luke actually was a historian who was hired by a Roman uh, wealthy person to go back to Israel maybe 30 years after Jesus' resurrection and put together like a historical objective account of what really went on because there's all these crazy Christians talking about a risen Christ. And so Luke went back to Israel, interviewed all the eyewitnesses, correlated all the data and produced his Gospel, a scientific historical account of what he heard from eyewitnesses who would have been there when Jesus was walking around the earth doing his thing. Uh, after he finished the gospel, he decides to write a second book, which is called the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's how the church really got off the ground from being 12 or 11 disciples, when you discount G- Judas, 11 disciples to being, you know, all over, th- this time, the known world. And in 242, this is just after God has poured out his spirit in a very powerful way. And there's this amazing moment, we call it Pentecost Sunday uh, in, in church history. And the result was that when God poured out his spirit, people acted differently. Something in them changed. And here are some of the characteristics of that change. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
uh, those who are being saved. It's a great picture of what the church should and could be. What we see is that as the church did some good deeds, they, they were generous, they were serving, they were, they were, they were, they were you know, trying to make their community better, they enjoyed the favor of all the people, which led to people reconsidering their position on this message of ours called the good news. So last week, Pastor Patrick Lockin did a phenomenal job opening up the series. Come on, show our love for Pastor Patrick. Absolutely great message. Again, if you miss any of our messages, they're all on our website or on our app, lighthousechurch.ie, you can find it in the app store. But basically what we learn is that good deeds leads to goodwill, which leads to good news. Here's a sequence. When we do good deeds over a period of time, that creates goodwill, which leads to good news. And we want everyone to hear the good news. Okay, so today in part two, so last week Patrick, Pastor Patrick covered good deeds. Today in part two, I want to talk to you about goodwill. Now here's the interesting thing, okay? When you Google goodwill, very often what comes up is goodwill hunting. Amazing movie, love Rob Williams. Um, but there isn't a lot out there actually about goodwill. There's some stuff in the corporate sectors around businesses, how to create general goodwill with customers, but there isn't a lot of writing or talking or thinking out there about how, is, how we as Christians or, or we as general human beings generate goodwill, which baffles me because think about this. Goodwill is so important to having a good life. Let me bring it back and say it simply. If no one likes you, your life's going to be harder, Right? But when people have a general disposition towards you, which is favorable, especially if you're married to that person or work for that person, it will go better in your life. You with me? So I thought, wow, what what an amazing challenge today that we as the church get to speak into culture. And again, if you're a Christ follower, this isn't just good for your life. It's good for how we think about church and ministry. If you're not a Christ follower, these principles I'm going to share with you today are important for marriage. They're important for family. If you want to be the kind of employee that's attractive to be hired, or even better, to be promoted, right? Or you're you're the kind of employer that wants to get the best people applying for your company so on, or whether you're just an artist with a dream, whatever it is, we need goodwill if we're going to flourish in society. Let's break it down. What is the definition of goodwill? Well, goodwill, and again, this is more of a, of a corporate dictionary definition. The definition of goodwill in a business sense is the amount of value that a company's good reputation adds to its overall value, okay? In other words, when it comes to a, a brand, pick a brand, think of a brand right now, whether it's a fast food brand or a beverage brand or a clothing brand, just pick a brand. When a brand wants to create this sense of connection with a customer, okay, it, it, what, what we're talking about in terms of goodwill is, is how much we value that brand, how much, we've, how much value, how much worth it has to our lives, how much we're willing to give to that brand because over a period of time, their consistency and their quality and whatever it is they produce, their excellence, has created this kind of sense of reputation. It's why most of the world can be divided on the lines of Pepsi or Coke, McDonald's or Burger King or KFC. You know, it's like all these classic things because some people have this sense of, you know, an affinity to the reputation of one over the other. Now, I'm not here to give you a business lecture, but if you're in business, this is good. What I am here to talk about is our lives work the same way. See, to generate goodwill in our own lives means not, not a company, but our person, our life, our family, our church, okay, that our community here in Dublin wouldn't look at Lighthouse Church and go, oh, what a bunch of weirdos, okay, even though having church in a cinema is kind of weird, let's be honest, um, so I give them that, but actually, hey, th- those people are good people, 
and they do good things in our community. And we not, may, may not all agree with everything they agree in, but we, we agree that they're important and they're necessary and they're a welcome part of our community. We want, as a church, to have a good reputation in the community. No one wins when you survey a community and everyone says, oh, it says nothing good about the church. I said everyone has to agree with everyone has to like it, but if, generally speaking, our reputation is poor in the community, listen carefully, then we have no value to it. As a church, it's imperative that we have a good reputation in the community. Why? Well, let me give you three benefits then of goodwill. Three benefits that benefit our church and benefit your life. Number one, goodwill builds reliance. Another word for reliance is the word trust, right? We want to be reliable. We like to rely on things. One of the reasons why we consistently go back to certain brands is because there's a sense of reliability with that brand. That it's going to be good because when I bought it over in this place on this day and that place on that day, it was, you know, it was fairly reliable. And so when we generate goodwill in our marriages, in our, in our businesses, in school, in our, in our sporting teams, it builds this sense of trust. It also, as we've mentioned, number two, builds reputation. What's reputation? It's a sense of stature, status. It's a standing amongst people. It's a standing within the community. It says, hey, these are good people and worth listening to. But also, number three, and finally, it builds a sense of rapport. Now, the word rapport means an affinity, like a connection, right? This sense of like, I just, I just feel like in certain ways we don't agree on everything, but otherwise I really am aligned with them on those things. For example, maybe you're here watching the line and you're not a Christian. How many think that justice matters? How many think that racial issues matter? How many think that sexism is a problem? Like, there's so many things that we're aligned on that we can have an affinity with the people of our community, but to do so, we must generate goodwill. So here's the question, very simply today, very, I've already kind of stated, is how do we develop goodwill in our lives and pervasively and generally speaking for our church. Another way of asking the question is, what are the good deeds, as Pastor Patrick mentioned last week, that lead us to goodwill? So, what I'm going to do today, and again, all of today's notes are in the Bible app by version. If you don't have the Bible app by version, download it, click on more, click on events, Lighthouse Church Dublin, and all of these notes will be there for you today. I want to give you seven things, seven things that generate goodwill. I'm going to call them seven guides, okay? So seven guiding principles that when we live these things out in our lives, when we apply them to our business, when we apply them to our studies, when we apply them to our interpersonal relationships, when we apply these seven things over time, what happens is goodwill is generated in our community, in our place of work, or amongst our peers. Are you with me? Now again, let me just say, and again, we don't always do a list of seven things in a Sunday. I'm going to be moving quickly. So if you don't have your seatbelt locked, just strap it in right now because we're about to take off, okay? Seven guides to goodwill. Here's number one. The first thing we need if we're going to generate goodwill is we need to be cordial. Now, I don't mean a dilutant drink. I'm not talking about black currant, everybody. I'm talking about being nice. I know, wow, mind-blowing teaching this morning at Lighthouse Church. I mean, honestly, how does this guy even get the microphone? I mean, if you want to build goodwill with people, let's start with the most basic proposition of just be nice. How many had kids, come on, and all the time we're telling our kids, just be nice, just play nice, just be nice. And of course, our kids reflect, are reflected in our kids is the human problem that our default mode isn't nice. It's not nice. 
And the problem is, when we're not nice, when we're unfriendly, when we're unkind, rather than building goodwill, it tears it down. How many examples do we see online of people showing us churches that are not nice? They're mean. And I think that's, that's somehow spiritual. Look at Jesus. Jesus wasn't mean. Jesus was, was kind and compassionate. He was challenging for sure at times, but always in the right way and in the right context. Being cordial refers to the idea that we're called to be friendly. We don't have to be everyone's friend. All oh, your introverts can just you know, breathe a breath of relief. You don't have to be everyone's friend, but we are called to be friendly. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17, it says, Those who are kind benefit themselves. But the cruel bring ruin on themselves. In other words, kindness is a virtue that adds value to others as well as ourselves. Now, even though it may not be a tangible value, as in like people who pay you for being kind or whatever, still there's a sense in where this, this, this intangible, you know, insaliable value of, of, of goodwill is created in our lives when we are kind. Now here's the thing, we can all do this. We can all become kinder people in a world that right now is growing increasingly more and more mean. It was the uh, French philosopher uh, Blase Pascal who said, kind words do not cost much, but they do accomplish much. And we all know the difference of what it's like to be in the receiving end of a kind word or an unkind word. If we want to build businesses, we want to build ministries, if we want to be people that generate goodwill, let's be cordial, let's be friendly, let's be nice, let's be kind. Number two, the second guide to creating goodwill is cooperative, okay? Cooperative. And again, I just want to say as a side note up front, as an Irish people, generally speaking, we struggle with this. Because uh, a part of our, our kind of historical narrative is that we want to always be against what everyone else is for. Like we're kind of that fighting Irish spirit. And that sometimes can be used in some powerful ways when it comes to you know, ending poverty in our world. I think our government are going to give away next year, I think, I don't know how many billions of euro to global aid. Like there's positive things there. But when we're uncooperative in, in a good sense, it can be destructive, not only to our lives, but to our society. Cooperation, as we break it down, is the, is the understanding that we actually need each other. I don't know if you realize this, but we need each other. Like, if you're a business person and you're launching a business, you need customers. And if you're a smart business person, you need your customers to come back. You need friends. You need community. You need a, a sense of family, which is what this church is all about. But there's a sense in where every level in society, in some way, shape, or form, we need each other. When we come at life with a cooperative spirit, when a spirit is trying to collaborate and work together, we can accomplish so much more. Arrogance says, I don't need anyone. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I can do whatever I want. I don't need anyone. And you know what the truth is? You may achieve some things in your life by yourself, but you will be miserable. You will be miserable. And I won't just stay at work. That will come home with you, and that will affect your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your wider family, and you'll become the kind of person that everybody else wants to avoid. And I want to just say this really quickly. Don't allow that to become your identity. You don't have to live like that. Why not rethink that philosophy and ask the question, how can I be more cooperative? Virginia Bruden, the author, says this. She says, cooperation is the thorough conviction that nobody gets there unless everybody gets there. This morning, I said, we had this thing happen where 
you know, something went wrong and a fuse was blown. And we spent about 40 minutes, just, be- just before you got here, trying to get power back in this room. We were freaking out. And uh, thank God, power worked and we're all here. Uh, and well done to the team. But after a, a kind of a team time, I huddled all the team right here in this corner, got every single volunteer who's serving today. I just said, hey, the whole way through lockdown, we had this phrase we kept using. It's an Irish phrase. It goes like this, okay? And what it means is we are stronger together. We are stronger together. We are stronger together. And this is Virginia Bruden's verse of that, this idea that if we can live with this thorough conviction, that it's not like how I say it is like this. If I get there and I, what getting there means is I, is I crush you or I burn you or I use and abuse you, then wherever there is wasn't worth getting to. Because if we can't get there together, then what's the point of there? That's a spirit that we live with, a spirit of cooperation. And when our business partners, our employers, our colleagues at work, our, our friends and our sports teams, or our community sees us carry this spirit that we want to work with you, that's a powerful thing that generates goodwill. I remember a couple of years ago when we decided that we we're going to plant a church, we we're going to start. What a crazy thing. We had this dream to start a church in Dublin. And just a handful of us got here in the cinema and we, we prayed and said, Lord, maybe one day you bring some people, who knows? And we prayed and we launched and here we are. But before we ever made it public that we were starting a church in this community, I made it my business to reach out to as many church leaders in this area as possible, to invite them for a coffee, to let them know our posture, our spirit was one of humility. I remember sitting with one leader and saying, we're not here to take over. This is not the Conor McGregor church, everybody. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We honor your 30 years of service in this community. And we're coming here to lock arms with you and serve you and serve with you to make this world a better place for Jesus. And so we said, hey, we will, we will, we, if we, you know, and, and we, there's been times where some of the churches in this community, we've donated money to them. We've been praying for them. Because our posture is one of cooperation. There is one enemy, and he isn't another church. He is the devil, people. We are one body in Jesus' name. So that spirit of cooperation builds good will. And what it comes down to is to be helpful. That ultimately, we want to be helpful. Why? Because being helpful builds rapport, a sense of affinity. As it says in Proverbs 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You can't sharpen iron without some iron. All you become is a dull blade, a blunt sword, a useless instrument if we're not sharpening one another. Okay, so cordial, cooperative. Number three is caring. Surprise, surprise, caring. I think one of the greatest enemies to building goodwill, to building a sense of rapport, to building a good reputation, to building a sense of reliance on the greatest enemies is selfish ambition. Like ambition, no problem. I mean, God gave us creative agencies in our brain to believe, to dream, to go, to grow, to innovate. I mean, God innovatively created the whole world, people. Look at the mountains. Look at the sea. Like you're creating music and art and all these things. Like it flows from the, 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 the thumbprint of the one who created you. There's nothing wrong with ambition. The problem is when the ambition is selfish. 
when it's all about me and when they see how great I am and when I have that many followers and when that's the place that I live and when that's the vehicle I'm driving and when I can wear those clothes and when those people become my friends, all of a sudden, the whole world will know the truth of who I really am. And you know what it is? It's true. They'll know you're an uncaring, selfish individual. And we live in a society that glorifies fame and glory as if it's the greatest ideal. Look at the lives of most people that we watch on screen. Their lives are a disaster. Not all, but most of them. Because at the top of the pile is a meaningless existence. If everything about your existence is you being great and everyone knowing that and applauding that. There's more to life than this. Life is richer when we live in caring relationships. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi many years ago and spoke exactly into this tension. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. What does it say? Come on, it say value. It says value. In humility, look for the value. and See people not as instruments, as tools to be used and abused, but see the value in every man, woman, and child. Hey, you know the problem, the solution for global poverty is value people. The solution to racism is value people. The solution to injustice is that we as the church took on the example of Jesus and loved everybody regardless of their ethnicity, skin color, social demographic. Our world would change overnight. A bit of care, everybody. Values. And not only looking to your own interests, but each you looking to the interests of others. In other words, God, if, if ambition is neutral and selfish ambition is bad, then godly ambition is that we, our ambition becomes looking to the, the ambition of others. Our ambition becomes, how can I help serve you in God's call and God's dream for your life? Because somehow, as Jesus teaches us, as I give my life away to you in service, as I sacrifice for you, as I love you in action, somehow my own dreams become realized. Another way of saying it is like this. When we look to the interests of others, our own are realized. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily mean in a superficial sense. In other words... If you try to take selfish ambition and apply selfish ambition to the ambition of others, what you get are superficial results. You end up using people. But if your ambition is a godly ambition to genuinely serve people because you see their value in God's eyes, then the result is a superior one. Because what we get in return is something much more meaningful, something far greater than just material possessions. We get favor from a father in heaven. It was the Greek philosopher himself, Plato, who said, caring about the happiness of others, we find our own. As we care about the happiness of others, we find our own. Because there's something in the human soul, my friends. I know it's, it sounds so counterintuitive because so much of our world is image-driven and wealth-driven and status-driven. And we, we so much want to be, we desperately want to be seen and acknowledged and recognized because we're all great and all this kind of stuff. You know, and, 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 I, and I get that. But there's something about the good news of the gospel that says, hey, the tr- true meaning in life isn't found from being famous. It's found in service, in helping people, in loving people, in, 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 in seeing other people's lives improve as a result of your investment in their lives. And those of you who work in healthcare, work in, in the community or social workers, and even if you're not Christian, you know this. Nothing can compare to the value of seeing someone's life improve because you've given something away for that. 
And I'm saying that should be normal for us as a church. That's what we should be known for, that we're caring. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we compromise. So, see, here's the problem. In our cultural moment, people think to care means you have to believe what they believe about human sexuality, about the value of life in the womb. I'm saying, no, 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 we're not going to compromise on those things because we have convictions, but we do care for you. What? That's why we have these conversations, because we care for you. Caring does not mean we change our convictions. Caring means we love and serve people despite the difference in our convictions. Number four is this. If we're going to generate goodwill, we need to be complementary. I don't mean complementary as in cooperation and working together. I mean complementary in the most rudest form, in just being compliment, just saying nice things to people. Like, think about this. One of the major threats to goodwill is toxicity, right? Have you ever worked for a toxic boss? Ever been in a toxic relationship? Dare I say, ever been a member of a toxic church? Nothing destroys goodwill faster than toxicity. And where is toxicity mostly or always evident? Words. Because Jesus said, whatever's in you will come out of you through your words. And so if we want to build goodwill in life, in our community, as a church, then we've got to make sure that what's in us is healthy and not toxic. Because what's in our hearts will be on our lips. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to a church like ours in a city called Ephesus, said this. He said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't you that words like, like garbage? Don't let trash come off your lips, okay? Because trash isn't just a, an ejection of what's bad in you. Trash infects and affects people. You think you're unloading some things that are deep in you. What you're actually doing is making others sick. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building for building others up according to their needs. Not according to how you think they need or what you think they need, but according to what they think they need. Okay? That it may benefit those who listen. In other words, what comes off our mouth shouldn't tear people down. Paul uses a, Paul uses a constructive analogy, a construction metaphor, that our words have power. Either they can tear people down, tear down their confidence, tear down their connection, tear down their dreams, whatever, or our words can build others up. If we're going to be complementary, if we're going to create goodwill with other people, with our community, then we've got to make sure that our words are words that build other people up. The word edify, you've probably heard thrown around if you're a church person in the past, you know, or uh, an edifice, you've probably heard that word in English uh, you know, um, vernacular. The word edification literally means to build up. Okay, that we're supposed to speak words that edify. We're not, not words that destroy, words that edify. And I find myself, this is a real struggle for me, I'll be honest, because when things happen to you and against you that you don't like, come on, in the room online, right? It's very hard to find a positive spin, right? Because everything in you wants to destroy. You want to drop some atomic bombs. You know what I'm saying? You want to send in the U.S., you know, Air Force, and wipe those suckers out. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you're leaving church on Sunday in Blanchetown traffic, right? It's like, man, if I just had a bull bar in front of my car, I'd, I'd sort this out, okay? And there is a real tension. And the point is this. The point isn't we shouldn't feel frustrated sometimes. 
The point is we shouldn't feel attacked or, or, should, or we don't have a sense of defense. The point is we make a choice. We make a choice. And I'd love to say that I am great at this. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying, okay? But we make a choice. Because the value of my heart is I want to be a complementary person. I want to be someone who speaks well, who speaks life, who speaks blessing, someone who builds others up with our words. It's a choice to say something constructive. And when we choose to say something constructive and we say it consistently over time, guess what happens? We build a rapport. Now, how does this apply to our church? Well, we can sit here and we can complain about all the things wrong in Dublin. We can complain about all the things you don't like. We can complain about all the bad things. But the truth is, we love this community. And we love the people's community. And we came to this area on purpose. And the purpose was this, that every man, woman, and child in Dublin would hear the good news. Whereas through our church, or us partnering with other churches, that is the mission. Okay, so we choose to speak blessings over our community. We choose to speak blessings over, you know, uh, the leaders in our community. We don't ignore what's going on, but we, we make a choice to be complementary. Let me just break it down to its most like simplest form again. You know, as Abraham Lincoln said, everyone loves a compliment, right? Um, you know, it's just simple. It's just it's just in the morning. It's it's online. It's 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 in school. It's 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 wherever you are. Just make it, and again, don't make it facetious. Don't make it weird. Please don't make it weird, guys, honestly. Don't make it a weird thing, because then it gets, you know what I'm saying? Like, just be cool. Just be cool. Just find an appropriate, nice thing to say, and just say a nice thing, okay? And don't say too much, because then it gets weird again, you know? Like, there is a bit of an art and science, this whole thing. And if you want, you can talk to me afterwards, and I'll help you out. But just don't, don't be all over people, especially if the opposite sex, you know what I'm saying? Especially if you like them already, because, listen... <laughs> No one wants a desperado, you know what I'm saying? So listen, we'll do a series of relationships again later on. But I'm just saying, just learn to give a compliment. No strings attached, you know what I'm saying? Hey, good to see you. Looking great today, whatever. Okay, number five. This is a bit of a complicated one. Maybe you, don't, you haven't heard this term before. This word is the word conciliatory. And the word conciliatory is where we get the root word reconcile, okay? To make well, to come together. And what I'm referring to when I say this, this word conciliatory is this idea that we would be willing to say sorry, right? Because a heartfelt sorry is like a fire blanket when the frying pan goes on fire. A momentary blaze of glory and everything turns to cannon, right? But when we... When we, and again, I'm going to say this. And when, when we do that, what happens? Well, when we say sorry and the fire blank goes on the pan, it not only saves the house, but it saves the people within it. Right? But refusing to apologize is like adding petrol to the oil in the pan. In the end, we lose everything. And everyone loses. For those of you who are here who I've... I've officiated your marriage ceremony. One of my favorite things to do whenever I do a wedding is to quote a Tracy Chapman song. Okay? I know, not your typical preacher. Surprise, surprise. So I like to to quote a Tracy Chapman song. And in this song, she says this. She says, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. And here's the basic claim that I try to give to these couples on the day of their marriage. If you want to live a long-lasting, healthy marriage, learn to say these three words a lot and mean it. I'm sorry. Forgive me, because sorry is one thing. Forgive me is another, right? And I love you. 
In the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 28, verse 13, the TLB verses, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. You know why? Because you can't be successful other people. Yes, you can be greedy. Yes, you can be wealthy. Yes, you can be famous. But who said that's successful? If it costs you your marriage, if it costs you your kids, if it costs you all your friends, then what kind of success is that? A man who refuses to admit mistakes can never be said. But if he confesses and forsakes them, I'm sorry, forgive me, he gets another chance. Yeah, come on, it's worth celebrating. And all of us need lots of those. And this is so interesting because this isn't just true of our interpersonal relationships. This is true between us and God. Again, if you're watching online or in the room, you're not a Christ follower. This is the gospel. That if we keep stubbornly trying to live our lives without God, we'll never succeed in the long run from, a, from an eternal perspective. But when we come to the point of realization that God is good, He is my Father. He created me on purpose and for purpose. He doesn't refuse me or judge me or humiliate me. He isn't disgusted by me. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. If we are willing to confess our sin to Him and forsake the ways that we've been living that aren't helpful but actually hurting me and hurting others, then we get another chance. Not just a, a, a momentary chance, an eternal chance. And that is the good news. Every man, woman, and child would have another chance. And you go, well, what happens if I screwed up? Tomorrow is another chance. There's actually a verse that says God's mercies are made new every single day. You know why? Because we screw up every single day. And we need mercy. Every day, there's a new chance as we're willing to confess, acknowledge our need for Him. You know, let's just be people who are willing to say sorry. And again, and I don't want to get too much into this because it's quite controversial, but look at, look at Ireland right now. And look at one of the reasons why so many people are against God. They're not really against God. They're against the historical abuse and hypocrisy of the church, capital C. And because of what the church did, and because of the church's refusal to admit it, own it, and say sorry, people said, if that's God's church, I want nothing to do. And you know what? I agree with that. Because I don't know how we can somehow just cover things up and expect it to be okay. That's never okay. That's never okay. We need to be a kind of people that when we screw up, man, we're, we just, we're just honest about it. We screw up. Guess what? We're human too. And we'll own it. We'll pay the price. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask for forgiveness. Because ultimately, the reason why we're doing this, believe it, is because we love you. But even in love, we make mistakes. So we need to be conciliatory. We need to be a people whose posture is one of apology and ownership and responsibility when necessary. Okay, second last. Number six then. We need to be consistent in all these things. Surprise, surprise. Why? Because people don't want you to be perfect, right? I mean, your employer doesn't want you to be perfect. What they want you to be is be consistent. You go, what do you mean? Turn up on time consistently. Do your job well consistently. Have a good attitude in work consistently. And you will be consistently paid well. Any employers in the room? Right? Your spouse may say they want you, but they don't. Because anyone who's married to a perfect person, by definition, their marriage is misery. Because if you're married to a perfect person, you're never going to be good enough. Right? What we do want is we want consistency. Hey, what about consistent fidelity? Oh, you, know, you think it's okay to part-time fidelity? 
I didn't know we were in that kind of church. Because my mind, fidelity has to be all the time, always. Right? I mean, come on. Like, there's so many ways we apply this. And even though we as a church in our community can't be a perfect church, because we're not full of perfect people, we want to be consistent. And when the, when, the, when, the, when the lockdown happened and we rallied our team, we were like, you were all trying to figure out what do we do? How do we, how do we react to this? I just told the team, let's just be consistent. We're going nowhere. Church has not shut down. It's moved online. Every single Sunday, the entire time of the lockdown, we were here, not in the room, but here as in we were doing this. Because when we couldn't, we didn't have control of circumstances, we could make a choice to be consistent. And we don't have control of circumstances in your life, in your workplace, or wherever it is you find yourself today. You can make a choice to be consistent. Because perfection says, oh, you never fall down. But the truth is, we all fall down. Consistency is recognizing that we fall down, but we get back up again. Perfection is you never fall down. Consistency is you do fall down, but you keep getting up again. Just yesterday, my, my oldest son I was playing a rugby match, okay? And it was a really tight game, really evenly matched sides. It was really, really tough, real physical. And, you know, if you ever watched rugby, like today Ireland are playing Argentina, so let's pray in the name of Jesus. God loves the Irish. Come on, somebody. Uh, and also, Lord, you'll pray for the Raiders, and we pray for Lewis Hamilton. Um, so anyway, I digress. So, so, so like in this game, like if, if, if perfection was the goal, well, in the first minute, bang, you're on the ground. Okay, life's over. I got locked down. I'm all mucky, I'm sore, game over. Woe is me, call my mother. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to keep getting back up again. And you can almost say, the team that gets up the best is a team that wins. And you don't need to be perfect. Just be consistent. Make a choice today to get back up again. And again, you don't have to be a genius to do, to do that, but it is a genius move. You go, well, according to, well, according to Albert Einstein, everybody, our resident genius, for he said, it's not that I'm so smart. Yeah, right. It's just that I stay with my problems longer. Now, some of you look at your spouse going, 25 years. But take a second. Right? Einstein, thank you. <laughs> but there is a truth in this. That when you actually look at some of these great innovators, thinkers, and world changers, it, it, and Albert, he, he, well, he was a genius. He's just being, you know, he was a genius, okay? But a lot of times, people accomplish great things. They're not necessarily geniuses. They just stay consistent with the dream, with the vision, falling down, getting back up again. I mean, our church has gone through so many challenges over the years, guys. So many. So many times we've been knocked down. But we wouldn't be in this room if we didn't make a choice to keep getting back up again. Right now, online or in the room, I'm speaking to one of you, at least one of you, because God is saying to you, get up. It's time to get up. Listen to me. You, you've, you've, you've bought into the lie that the mud is, is, is your home. And God says, I've called you to greater things. Get up, put it where it belongs, under your feet, and start moving forward. Amen? And so as we do good consistently, of course, this leads to goodwill. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let's not become weary in doing good. For the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And get, not giving up looks like getting up over and over. Okay, the seventh and final guide to creating goodwill in life, in our community, as a church, as an individual, as an employee, employer, as a creative person, as an innovator, entrepreneur, as a human being, is that we are charitable. 
We are. Why? Because generosity is powerful. A generous, think about it, a generous spirit is cordial. A generous spirit is caring. A generous spirit is cooperative. A generous spirit is consistent. A generous spirit is, is conciliatory. I mean, all these guides, these values, these principles come out of a generosity of spirit, right? And here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower in the room, watch online. If you're someone who's following Jesus, by definition, you are growing in generosity. Because we serve the most generous person ever to exist it, God. And God so generously gave His Son. And God so generously pours out mercy. And God, is, God by nature is generous. So therefore, by definition, if we're following Him, we're growing in generosity. Listen carefully, please. There is no second offering today. In fact, we haven't done the first offering. There will be one offering today, as normal. But this isn't a ploy to get you to give some money. Because it isn't just financial. It's a spirit that permeates and penetrates every area of life. We live in a world. Just walk around the center for 10 minutes. People aren't generous with their smiles. They aren't generous, generous with space to walk. They aren't generous in queues. Like there's a general disgenerosity in our culture, especially at Christmas. I mean, how crazy is that? The most cheerful time in the world is, is horrible. That's why it's, we should always watch a Christmas car at least once every single Christmas, you know? Get the bah humbug out of us a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Let's not, not be Scrooge. But generosity is powerful. A, a generous smile and opening the door, allowing someone to go first, a, a giving up a parking space. You're about to enter the Krispy Kreme and someone's getting there in front of you and you're going to go, I can race them and beat them. I'm like, hey, after you, man. Like, generosity is a powerful thing. And the church should be known in our community for being the most generous group of people in the community. That's why in two weeks or three weeks, we're doing Winter Wonderland. If you don't know what Winter Wonderland, you are missing. We are going to generosity the life out of this community. We're giving away gourmet hot chocolates. We're giving away Krispy Kreme donuts. We're giving away quality toy presents to every child that comes through, plus a photo booth, plus the overall experience of inflatables. We're going to have freaking rain there, people. We don't mess around. And you know what? Last year, when you, people were trying to go, why, why are you doing this? And of course, the Irish response is, sure, why not? It's a crack like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what should we be doing? Taking, taking, taking. We want to give. Put a smile on people's face. There's no cost. There's nothing you owe us. We'd love for you to come to our church one day. But we're not going to chase you. There's no strings attached. All we want to create is a sense of goodwill in our community. The church is generous. And last year we had one family come to our Dublin location. And they were literally moved to tears because they had no money to buy their kids gifts that year. And the church, and it's very simple, right? Very rudimentary, but very powerful was able through your giving and your serving to make generosity possible. I'm telling you, it's powerful. I'm, some pastors want to be the biggest church and the best church. I want to be the most generous church. That's the nature of Jesus. Give it all away. You know, I want to be a generous church. In Psalm 112, verse 5, it says this. It says, good, goodwill, almost, 
Good will come to those who are generous. Good will or good will will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Generosity is not just part of the Christian identity. Generosity is a defining characteristic. I mentioned this quote a while back, and I'll mention it again. Winston Churchill said that we make a living by what we get. And there's too many people in Ireland that are living right now, but they have no life. They're living, running around, scurrying, paying bills, working, you know, consuming one thing, one thing, one thing, and there's no life. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Within living, you can have life. But part of that is understanding that we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And we want to be a church that makes a life. But we can only do that when we give. Generous. So.